So let's first open our Bibles to chapter 9, 1 through 14. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame, and all that he did in Egypt, and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore make covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see, they are torn, and these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Okay, and then let's turn to chapter 10, and we'll read 1 through 8. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zadok, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zadok, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hotham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up. They and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. And the men, let's see. Uh, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. 
Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and on the descent to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Okay, I'm keeping on reading because there's such a good story. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, In the sight of Israel, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Woo, that's a lot. And we couldn't even read everything you read in your homework. But I wanted to make sure we had that scripture in mind as we talk about these things. And just looking at that map, kind of picturing what actually happened when, you know, how they routed them and, and all of that. But, but the main thing I want us to think about, there are so many things to talk about with this lesson. We could talk about keeping your word. We could talk about, um, you know you know, trickery and all that stuff. But the main thing I want us to think about today from this lesson is God's reputation. His reputation. What do people know about him? Um, Because God cares about his reputation. And we're going to look at the responses to God's reputation. Then we're going to look at how they fought based on his reputation and then how they prayed based on his reputation. So... Let's look at the responses to God's reputation. First of all, we see a couple of responses by his enemies. The first one, the Gibeonites, they were like, uh, we don't want to die and we are going to die if we fight them. So the next best thing is we better trick them. And they did. They totally came up with a pretty good idea of making it look like they had traveled a long way. They were like, we want to make a deal with you. We want to be friends. We're from far off. We're not part of this land. And so Joshua and the leaders of the congregation made a covenant with them, an agreement. This is not how Rahab and her family joined. The, the, I almost said the circus, <laughs> but, you know, the people of God. <laughs> um, so it, it, they, but they saw this as the only viable option. We see another reaction to God's reputation of fear is we better get ourselves organized and fight. And that was what the five kings did. So you had the Gibeonites that were like, let's just trick them to try to get on, at least we're safe. And um, then the five kings who said, let's attack their now friends so that we can get, you know, defeat them. Okay, what? The, the, the thing they're reacting to is the same thing. God is powerful and justice is getting meted out. And remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The people in Canaan were awful. They had been doing things like child sacrifice. They had had centuries of time to repent and they had not. And this is God's judgment being meted out on them. And just as he used the hailstones... He is using the people of God and their swords to judge this country. And so they are doomed. 
They are doomed. They have had centuries to repent. And now is the time for judgment. And just as an aside, we are no different. We have had centuries and millennia to repent. And once Jesus comes back, there is no room for repentance. Just like we're seeing, there was no room for anyone to survive God's justice. And this is God's justice, not man's justice. This is God saying that this has to happen. The Israelites were not going, I think we want that land. No, God said, I promise you this land, but you can't have it until the sin is complete and they deserve to be kicked out of their country. So that's just an aside. We've covered that a little bit before, but I just want to say that here because it, it is heavy. But there's another response to God's reputation as powerful and um, strong, and it's his own people's reaction we see in chapter 9, and that's that they forgot about him, which is interesting as a response to God's reputation, right? Especially by his own people. The own people kind of got lazy. They kind of were like, they, they were asking all the right questions of the Gibeonites, but they were not really asking the right person with their questions about the Gibeonites, weren't they? They got lazy and they forgot to pray. They needed wisdom and they neglected the source of wisdom. They were suspicious, but just they were okay because they were smart enough, right? They were talking. They were asking each other the right questions just like we do. And they totally, enough so that God makes sure that it sticks out like a sore thumb, but they forgot to pray. And so I just have to ask us, how are we similar to God's people? God's people are generally kind of the same throughout time, right? And we forget to pray. We think, oh, this isn't a big enough deal to pray about. Or I've got my sister, I've got my mama, I've got my best friend, we can figure this out. Um, what are the situations that maybe you're responding to God's reputation in a kind of almost with contempt? Are you trying to, like the Gibeonites, trick your way in response to God's reputation? Are you trying to get on God's good side by obeying really well? Or if I just do this, if I just give this money to the church fund, or if I just go to church, or if I just show up to Bible study, if I, if I just do these things, God, that'll be enough to be safe from judgment. But there's not really like Rahab had a heart of faith. Or are you just plain old fighting God? Are you plain old just not interested and you don't want his justice? You don't think of him as being authoritative over you. And then like his people did, we just neglect God. Those are the choices we see in front of us of how people reacted to God's reputation. But what I love about this study this week is we get to see how powerful God is. And in that reading, we saw how God himself is fighting this battle. That we have a fighting um, based on God's reputation of power and as a warrior king. Um, if you look in um, 10:42, chapter 42, I mean chapter 10, verse 42. Let's read that real quick. Uh, well, 
I wrote down the wrong verse. Um, well, anyway, no, it's right. All these kings and their land, those five kings, this is the end of the story, Joshua took at one time. Why? Because he was so awesome? Because he had worked out every day? No, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. So we see, even though Joshua is the head of this army, God himself is fighting. So how does that make a difference to Joshua and his people? Um, first of all, like I said, he, he is judging this land using the Israelites as a tool. He is doing the heavy lifting. We saw this in 10 through 14. The Lord routed them. He cast down hailstorms, stones, and then in 14, he fought for Israel. So it's almost like you can imagine that there's this invisible force, this invisible warrior that is leading the Israelite army. He's leading them and they're behind him. It's like Aslan is in front. So all the other people, they look real brave, right? Because they know they're following God himself. And it's really God who is doing this. But it makes you so much more diligent and so much more secure to know that God's reputation is backing up your fighting, right? Um, So look at how Joshua responds to this battle when the five kings attack their new friends who were friends through trickery. Did he say, well, you tricked us. So good luck with all that. No, he kept his word. He took his best men and they ran all night to get there. And you don't do that unless you know you're going to win. <laughs> and God beats the stew out of the Gibeon, I mean, out of these five kings and all their armies. Um, the result of someone who fights with God's reputation is you will win. You are on the right side. And you have confidence in that strength. And so you're not as scared. So... So this leads us to this crazy story about Joshua yelling out a prayer of sun and moon stand still. Just stop. Will time stop? Because God has said, I am going to let all of them die. And it was probably like if I'm imagining it, it's that they were still in the middle and the time was running out. Now, one commentator said, actually, the way I've always read it is the sun stopped. But one, one way to read it is the moon stopped. So that both stopped, wherever they were, they stopped. But the point is, time stopped. Because they needed more, either more night or they needed more day. They needed more time to finish the job. And so that's why Joshua prayed that way. And then in verse 21 of chapter 10, the result is no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. So that's the other result. Not only a win, but that because you're associated with this powerful God, you were protected. And I love how when when they got the kings out of the cave, remember that? And, And Joshua made them lie down on the ground And he told the Israelite leaders, come put your foot on their neck. Okay, we're all girly and going, oh, that's so mean. That's so mean. No, no. These people were coming after them. And the the kings were wicked. 
and they were representing this is what's going to happen in this land. And it was like a almost a ceremony to show this is what it's going to feel like. This is going to give you strength and encouragement. And Joshua passes along what God's been telling him the whole time is be not afraid, be courageous. And he makes them put their feet on their necks to show you're going to win. You are going to be on the winning side of this. And this is almost like what the Lord's Supper is to us today. It's, a, it's almost like there's this sign. I know that Jesus loves me. I know in my head that Jesus died for me. But when I go up front, I have to get out of my chair and I have to go up front and I take that bread and I take that wine and I taste it and I feel it and, I, and I'm with people around me while we do it together. I feel it. It's better than knowing it sometimes, just to feel it and to be reminded of it. And that's what Joshua is doing. But I want us to turn to Ephesians 6. That's in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, because that's fine for them, but their focus was a physical land. Our focus is for the invisible land that we're going to, the new heavens and new earth, this kingdom of God that he's establishing. So if you turn to Ephesians 6, we are in a battle today. And I'm just going to read um, 10, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And so think about this language, y'all, and what we just read in Joshua. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then it goes on to list actually what our outfit should be for this battle that we're called to be in. We need help. We are weak. We need encouragement. I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to that list of things I just read. Wiles of the devil, do not sign me up for that. The whole invisible stuff, powers, principalities, that is that's scary to me. Just like those people were scared back then. And God in his mercy says, don't be scared. Don't grow weary. You have my power. So think about God's reputation that we're learning about in Joshua. God does not change. He is the warrior king and he is asking you to get behind him. Get behind it. Put on your, your warrior outfit. You need it. You need the sword of truth. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the breastplate of righteousness. Don't be lazy and forget to pray. Put on your armor every day. Because this battle is going to be won. You are on the winning side, but it does not mean sitting on the side. You are on the winning side. You will win. Psalm 24 verse 8 says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. So that is who your God is. That's his reputation. So how do you take hold of that in this, this battle that you're in today? 
Are you confident in his power as you face doubt? Did God really say he would be with me? Did God really say that this world can be saved? Maybe you're in overwhelming circumstances, financial circumstances, marital, uh, marital issues, children issues, um, health issues. There are things that you go, I don't have what it takes. You really don't, but your God does. Maybe there's a recurring anxiety that just plagues you. Maybe there's a recurring sin that defeats you. God says, put on the armor. I will beat that back for you. I will rain down my hailstones on your circumstances, on your sins, on your anxieties, but follow me. And that leads us to how we need to pray based on God's reputation. And we saw that in chapter 9. This is after Joshua has learned. Boy, was he praying during the battle after he learned that lesson, I guess. He prays this crazy. He goes from not praying to praying the craziest prayer I've ever heard, which is sun stop and moon stop. Um, If you look in chapter 9 around verses 12... Let's see. Uh, no. Anyway, you get. We, we read the prayer. Uh, let's see. No, it's chapter 10. Sorry. I knew I wrote that down wrong. Sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has not been, there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Okay, that is one gutsy prayer. Can we just acknowledge that in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever had the nerve or imagination to say, Jesus, will you stop the sun? Now, I have, I have, I have to admit, now that I think about it, pray like if I'm late for something, will you please just stretch it? Or, or but I'm not even that brave. I'll say, will you make somebody else late too? <laughs> so I'm a selfish prayer. But it was so gutsy. And it was so with confidence because he was so aligned with God's purposes. Because remember, God has said, Don't be scared because what's going to happen is I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to beat them all. Not just you'll get by. I'm going to beat them all. Not one man's going to be able to stand in front of you. So so before you go praying for the sun to stop so you can clean your house before your mother-in-law shows up, that's not what this is about. This is about Joshua so aligned with God's purposes that his prayer just was just right they needed more time they needed a whole day to do what god promised and he totally did it and he came up with the idea can can we just stop time and and god it said god heeded him god heeded him it's like the lieutenant in the back yelling at the general in the front hey can you stop time for us and the general going okay thanks lieutenant susan at the back Okay, so it's crazy stuff, y'all. This is crazy. The Bible itself says 
not that it was crazy that the sun and moon stopped, but that, that a man told God what to do. That's crazy. And that God did it. Okay, can we just pause and go, think about God's reputation. He is building a name for himself. It is strong enough to stop time. And it's good enough and loving enough to listen to Joshua and be tickled that Joshua is asking for something that he wants to. And he goes full-fledged warrior because then there's enough time for those hailstorms to come down and finish off many more than Joshua and the army did. There were more killed by the hailstones than by, by the armor. It's amazing. It is so gutsy, but it's so humbling that God actually listened. And it's got this certain outcome that we talked about. Is this how we pray? <laughs> I am very anemic when I think about my prayer life compared to this. But, but there are certain things we can pray for with just as much imagination and gutsiness. And God has promised them to us. So we're sure we are aligning with him. And here are some examples. What are some of the sure wins God gives us? Well, there's John 3:16. Whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. Not just those good girls. Not just the ones that kept it together all their lives. Not the ones that look like they could show up at Bible study and not be embarrassed. Everyone who believes in Jesus. Hebrews 13.5 says, God will never forsake you. Now, sometimes I feel lonely from God. I feel like maybe God is cool. But God says, even when you feel that way, I will never forsake you. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, He strengthens the weary. Are you weary? Do you go, I don't have what it takes to finish today, to finish this year, to finish this lifetime with my child, with my husband, with my parents. I don't have what it takes to make it. And God says, I strengthen the weary. That's something to to be very gutsy and pray, God, show up for me. Give me strength. Which is great because the next one I've got listed is Jeremiah 40. His plans are for our good. The plans that even when it looks like, are you kidding me, God? This is for my good? That we can remember and believe that they are to prosper us, to make us better, to bless us. Then skipping ahead to Philippians 4:19, our needs will be met by his riches. You know, part of God's reputation is he is rich. He, has, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are not limited. And our needs are going to be met by those resources. Now, I do not know how God will answer your prayers. I know this. He told Jesus no, and he told St. Paul no. So he may tell you no to, but I know he listens and I know he heeds the, he has heeded the voice of a man when he prayed for his purposes to happen. And so I'm not saying that you get a carte blanche to pray for anything you want. You just fill in the blank and turn it in and you get the lottery. I am saying that God will hear it. 
and be gutsy, that, that err on the side of gutsiness and err on the side of confidence in God's reputation of one who is powerful enough to stop time because he made it, to err on the side of believing God loves you when everything in your life tells you he doesn't, be gutsy and believe it, be confident that he's with you even though maybe you don't deserve him to be with you today because of that gossip, because of that stealing time or stealing money from your husband, didn't quite tell him how much it cost for that dress. Whatever it is for you, the thing that you bring shame in, believe, believe, have the confidence to know that your warrior king stands in front of you. I had something happen this week that just made me scared. It made me scared. It went to a vulnerable part of me. And thankfully, this lesson was in front of me and it just, it just popped. I have a warrior king to pray to. And I did. I said, Jesus, I need you to stand in front of me because I'm worried and I'm scared. And just the peace of this reputation that it gives you. So can you, brace, can you pray based on his reputation? And I want to leave you with one of my favorites. I probably have said it in Bible study here before because it's my favorite. Turn to Psalm 62 because this is my go-to for praying. Because I pray for things that I don't know if God's going to answer in the, affirm- in the affirmative. I don't know. But I'm praying for some impossible things. Now, let me just remind us. The most impossible thing is that you're a believer and God has done that. You've already experienced the impossible. You know that. You know you were dead and God gave you life. So when you're praying for things like, I want my child to be a believer... You are praying for something that is a miracle, but a miracle God loves to do. So be like that widow banging on the judge's door that the judge or somebody, the whoever, the parable, she banged on the door and the man answered it not because, not because he was good, but because she drove him crazy. Drive Jesus crazy, y'all. He's not the mean judge, though. He's already done everything for you. What is, it's like, it's like if my daughter, I got her the whole outfit for prom and she said, oh, mama, I forgot to get some, you know, I mean, my underwear shows through the seams or whatever. I'd be like, oh, go get a pair of underwear. I've already spent a fortune on the dress. We're not ruining it with a pair of tacky cotton underwear, you know. And Jesus is like, I've done everything. Ask, ask. And so here on the side of that, but this psalm really, really sings to me of praying according to God's reputation. Verse 11, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. I love that. Our God's reputation, yes, he is so strong. He is very powerful, but he is also so merciful. He's just the way he's wired is good. So pray for that. Pray that based on, pray your prayers based on a reputation, not only for us, and let's put on that armor he gives us for our own families and for our neighborhood and our workplaces and for our city. And let's share that reputation around us. Let's pray. 
Lord, you are indeed powerful and merciful, and we ask you for the impossible. We ask you to work peace in our lives that are strung out with different situations. We ask for the impossible salvation of either our children, our sisters, brothers, family members, parents. We ask for the impossible that you would hold time back until all your people are saved. And Lord, we, we only can pray this because of what you've presented in your word about yourself. And so give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom to read your word and, and take it at face value that you've said about yourself. Prove me right. Prove this Bible study right, Lord, in the lives of these women. In Jesus' name, amen.